Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name is Lil, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. The topic for this meeting is Building Blocks of Recovery, and it will be taped, um, and I will be your leader for this meeting. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Uh, Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. That has happened at previous internationals. That's why I'm saying that. Okay, will you please join me with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. Okay, Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Guidelines for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole, rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our meetings focus on the essay approach to recovery, so whenever possible, we avoid the mentions of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. Okay, as I mentioned, my name is Lil and I'm a recovering sexaholic. 
And this is my first meeting at this international. And the topic is the building blocks of recovery. And there's a quotation that was that they have underneath that in the booklet. And it says, find that arch through which you may pass to freedom. So that comes from the big book, Falcolics Anonymous, for those who may not know that. On page 62 at the bottom, and I'm just going to read where that uh, quotation comes from. It comes from step three. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter, in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. And so that's, uh, that's the beginning of step three. That's the position. That's the position I took. My goodness, I'm nervous. What's, I think it's this. Anyway, so the building blocks that I'm going to focus on in my share is about the 12 steps. And, and the first step, and I'll just go quickly through each principle on which the, each of the 12 steps rests. The first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. That our, sexaholism, that our lives had become unmanageable. And so for step one, for me, being powerless meant not, not having enough power to stop doing what I was doing in my disease. My sobriety date is June 17th of 2003. And I couldn't stop doing the, the shameful, painful, degrading things that I'd been doing since ever I could remember. I, my mother sexually molested me when I was two years old and I masturbated from the time before I, since I can remember, I, I did that. And the disease is progressive and it progressed through my life like wildfire. I'm not going to go into that aspect of it because we're focusing on recovery here. But for those of you who do know my story, it's... Uh, the progression of the disease is extremely apparent in my life. And so coming into SA, not being able to not do what I was doing and not act out in the way that I was acting out, one of the things, my, my, the person I was married to, he was my drug of choice and I pursued him to the gates of hell. We were together for 28 years. And one of the humiliating and degrading things I did was I, I cried at his feet to have sex with me, and I lusted after him, and I pursued him for 28 years. And he, at the same time, uh, withdrew from me, and my disease is very much lusting and wanting to be lusted after. And, and so I, I pursued that into the gates of hell. And my life was completely unmanageable. And so having powerless means being separated from that who, that who has all power, which is my higher power. And by coming into SA and getting connected to my higher power is how I got sober and stay sober. 
And the next, there are two parts to step one. And the next one is, and there's a dash in step one, and a dash in the English language is that it's the end of one thought and the beginning of the next thought. And it is that our lives had become unmanageable. And my life is unmanageable in sobriety. It's not just about being in the disease and acting out. And so it's it's about being insane in my thoughts, in my emotions, being a raving, raging uh, maniac and completely obsessed, whatever. Well, mostly it was with him, but I can lock on to anything. And so step two, I got sober and stayed sober by work putting these steps into action in my life. And so step two was recognizing that God was going to restore me to what God had intended me to be because sexaholism had always been a part of my life. And so if I looked for restoration before sexaholism, well, it goes to before I was born because I don't remember. Like I said, I, I do not remember not masturbating. And it. I went to my first SA International in San Diego in January 2004, and at that international, I had the flashback of my mother sexually molesting me. Prior to that, I had no idea. But when I had that flashback, I knew that that's where it started. And so the the principle of step two is, is being restored to what God intended me to be, and that gave me tremendous hope, tremendous hope and joy and comfort. And step three, like I said, that quotation that was chosen to be the basis of, of the topic for this meeting is, is uh, that archway. And it's the decision to turn my life, my will, over to care of God. And how I do that is I do every, every instance, every issue, every person, everything and it's putting that into God's hands and watching the miracles that happen as a result of that and since I got sober in June in June of 2003 there have been many many miracles far too many for me to go over and some of you I have shared um, many of my miracles with some of you and it's just on a daily basis as long as I, I stay clean and clear and continue to move forward. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm actually overwhelmed whenever I, I think of all, all what God has done to me. My life is completely different than it was in June of '03. I have a different job, different people in my life. I live in a different part of the city. I... I have a different relationship with my my daughter and my son today and with my mother and with my sister and with my brothers and the steps has has made me into the kind of person that I wanted I would have liked to have been but did not have the power to be on my own power and that's what the steps does do for me today and and so 
moving. So step three is making the decision. And then step four is, is putting that decision into action. And the whole purpose of step four is to uncover what I'm going to let go of. And letting go means not having it anymore. And then step five is the admitting to myself and to God and to someone else just exactly how I live in my disease. And and that's a continuing experience as well. I, I Just last night, they changed. I'll use this as an example. They changed when I first agreed to talk to share, to lead this meeting, it was going to be on the principles, the spiritual principles of the 12 steps and traditions. And I read this and I went, building blocks of recovery. And then I went, well, that can be interpreted in all kinds of different ways. And and so someone from Nashville said, well, just change it. And I and I said, I'm not going to do that. That has happened to me at internationals. And, you know, then I hold a resentment for six months. <laughs> or I, I sit in the room. I have done this. I sat, I sat in the room and wanted it to be what it was supposed to be. Meanwhile, it was not what it was supposed to be. Instead of just looking at the program and saying, okay, where else should I go, God? And... I know that that won't happen to me anymore, but it did in Denver <laughs> six months ago. It's humbling. It's always humbling to admit this stuff. So that's um, that's step five. And then step six is, you know, entirely ready to let go, to have God remove these defects of character. If I could have made myself better, I would have done so a long time ago. I wanted to be different. I wanted to be better. I didn't want to cry at his feet for him to have sex with me or run down the street in stocking feet or cry, beg, plead, promise, whatever. I didn't want to do those things, but I didn't have the power not to do those things. I didn't want to rave and rage at my at my children and be abusive. I I was though. But it's in recovery and with the power behind me. This is a quotation from one of the stories in the back of the big book fourth edition. And the power behind me has always been greater than the obstacle in front of me. In recovery in recovery and that's awesome and that's beautiful and that's what I do with these shortcomings is in God's hands I put them in God's hands and then I can be different and then I can live with integrity and honesty and humility it's I I can't do these things on my own like I said one of the women at work I I've worked I work for the government, and and um, they the the policy advisor where I, I work. She she knows I come to these retreats. Well, not S Sexaholics Anonymous retreats. She knows I have a spiritual program of action, and I attend spiritual retreats every six months, or more often than that. And she's watched me live my life according to these spiritual principles 
and a, I don't two months ago, a month and a half ago, we were sitting in a, a meeting at work, and we were talking about emergency contacts. And she had already spoken to me about this, and she said, "I would I would like Lil to be my guardian." And that's because I have integrity. And that just blows me away. And I, I just think that's such a beautiful thing. And it's such an honor and a privilege to, to live these things. There's so much hope. And I think God, the only limitation that God has is the limitation on, that I place on God. And then, you know, I get to clean up my making amends, step eight and step nine. I get to clean up the mess that I've made. I, I mentioned my daughter, and a, a couple of years ago, I, I became willing, completely willing, to make amends to my daughter, and I wanted the opportunity, and I, I waited. Well, in the past month, I was able, and she's also mentally ill, and in the past month, I, I had a meeting with her psychiatrist, and it went on for two hours, two and a half hours, and I it went through, I told the psychiatrist everything that had happened in the home that I was supposed to be an adult in, that my daughter was raised in. And she just wrote and wrote and wrote, and it was uncensored on my part. And just to be of service to my daughter. And I, at the time she was writing all these notes, I said, okay, now it's on, on paper. But And since that meeting, my daughter just keeps getting better and better. Every time I see her, every time I talk to her, all these people, professionals, have come into her life that are helping her. And it's awesome. I could never do that on my own. And it's just like, wow, thank you, God. Thank you. And so step 10 is to grow in, to keep my side of the street clean, which I try so hard to do with God's power. Step 11 is to grow in effectiveness and understanding. Uh, I, it, for me, it is not a maintenance step. It's a growth step. They all are. Having had a spiritual awakening, well, that's been ongoing continually since I took step one, since I got sober. My recovery is dependent upon my sobriety. And then to practice these principles, the principles of patience, kindliness, love, honesty, willingness, open-mindedness, those are the principles as captured in these 12 steps. And so uh, that's uh, my sharing. And now I will suggest that anyone, it's open up now for you to uh, come up and, and share, and if you could just line up and you know keep it going so there's no dead time on the seat on the tape. Thanks. Hi, Bernadette Sexaholic. Um, those of you who were here last year, I had to run out with a panic attack because I couldn't be among women. I'm working on being a woman among women. I run, the, I run, lead the fetishes meetings for the last five conventions. I'm the only woman in the room, um, basically, not all the time. But um, and Sylvia, I'm giving her personal credit. 
So do you know what your real fetish is? An aversion to women. <laughs> so here I am, after uh, six months, amazing things have happened to me. Will, I, I love you. Well, you're amazing. We share um, some background stuff, some serious, brutal stuff that happened. Um, our sobriety dates are 15 days apart. So that tells you something. Um, I have finally felt like for the first time I could be comfortable with women. I had some spiritual transformations this year as a gift of this recovery program. Um, but I found an interesting thing that happened is uh, even though I've been afraid to be among women, it hit me really hard this year because I tried to um, really respect my own femininity by losing weight in an appropriate way, 12-step way. Um, I got a sponsor who, you know, she's, she's awesome and I didn't trust women before to do this for me. Well, I joined the gym, and a lot of women do not think they need a dressing room. It made me crazy. I, I found myself like going at 5 a.m. just so I didn't see that they were there dressing right in front of me. I was angry at myself for how I felt. I was, and then, I, and then I, I had so many people in my life say this. You know, it's not, and not that this is a bad thing, because if you address it in a beautiful way, it's fine. Not that I'm necessarily same-sex attracted. It's that, oh, I want that beauty. I want those breasts to nurture me the way my mother, who still to this day says she didn't want to. She says she never wanted to be a mother. So, like, it's just that we come up, I come upon my, my womanhood so late in my life, and I am so grateful that my daughter, for however this happened, is a true feminine. She is an icon of femininity to me. She's 20 years old. She's got girlfriends and guys and a, girl, a boyfriend. And I mean, it happened in spite of me that she grew up to be this beautiful, you know, self-loving. And I want to just say this. My, my mother, um, she's not in any fellowship, but she's come to respect what I do. And I realize that whether or not she has a sex addiction, which she may, um, she she has a disease of self-hatred and I think when it comes down to it that's what this all is and I, I just pray that in some way she starts to get that thank you hi my name is Erica and I shared earlier hi in the in the mixed meeting with the men and that really terrified me to be honest with you um, but I wrote down some different notes so I can just get right to the point um, just to tell you a brief little bit about myself, I started off in the sex industry business before I started, before I came to God, and that was 10 years ago when I finally came to God. I was in, off and on in the sex industry business for um, about six years, wanted to get out. I would stop cold turkey, didn't have any way of financing, it was totally unmanageable, and then I would find myself back into it, and I knew that at that time, in order for me to stay in it, I had to keep myself um, poisoned um, back in the dressing rooms. I had great friendships with the with the women who were back there because we were I knew the truth we, none of us wanted to be there and but we had to be there in our minds. We felt like we had to be there and so um, I was starting to see how it was completely a control game between the men and the women. The men wanted to see how much they can get for a dollar the women didn 't want to show but they wanted to get the dollar. And so it, it was this back and forth struggle that would go on. And in order for us to stay back there and stay in that world, at some of the places that I worked at, and I worked at various places, they would have the um, um, the stations on that would continually um, show 
the pornographic side of a woman and how we need to be beautiful. And uh, growing up, men in my life, um, I was taught that they were a woman's beauty gauge. You would know how beautiful and what your worth was based on what kind of attention you would get from them. And so I found myself... Um, just subconsciously walking around uh, men, and if I had that second look, I knew I, I looked good. But I would notice it would only be it would only be when, or I noticed I would do that whenever I had my ma- my face made up and my hair done just right. Um, that's when I would notice if men were noticing me, and that's when I felt beautiful. Um, uh, I told God I was going to be. Um, abstaining. I wanted to wait until marriage, and so that was for the whole 10 years. I was dating off and on in there, and as God would have it, the boyfriends that I did have, they would come to a place to where if I was getting that attention, um, I would want to go all the way. And the guys, because he would, they would know my relationship with God and trying to, you know, just be honorable, they would just look at me and say, I, I just can't do it. And then I, I'd say, please, let's just go get married. Okay, we'll, we'll go to Vegas. And, I mean, I was going to do whatever it took to sleep with whomever I was with. And uh, crazy. But at, at any rate, um, so that went on for a while. And then I was engaged about three years ago. And the the gentleman who I was engaged to is 10 years younger than I am, and he was even a virgin, and um, still is a virgin, and he came from a small town, and so I thought, he is the mark of innocence, because he, the way he spoke, it was like he just left Mayberry, and I just was like, I am not in that world. He didn't speak with double entendres or anything, and I was, I was drawn to that, and as it turned out, um, with that, we try to be honorable. We we kind of dance on that line, but we didn't actually cross the line. I actually was trying to get it at one point, and it would be off and on, where he would want to get it across that line and whatnot. And so it turned out to where he just said, I can't, I, I have to take the ring back, and he took it back twice. And so then my self-esteem was like, okay, my worth is gone. Again, I was thinking... My worth as a woman was nothing. I'm 35 years old, and I want to have a child. I want to get married, and, you know, it's just like, you know, I would imagine women would. Um, but at any rate, what led me here was I work in the healthcare industry, and I would find myself lusting after the mar- married men who, were, who I was tending with, and um, I would never let on, but I would go home and fantasize about it to the point to where with some of the married men, I would visualize that their wives would get into some terrible, violent death, and then they would come and find me and court me. And I shared this with um, two of my coworkers, and the one, both of them said, you know, you really should look into getting professional help. Now, the whole time, I didn't even know that I had a problem because according to how I was raised, Women just don't go after men. Men are a dime a dozen. They're right there on your heel. So my pride was keeping me from really knowing I had a problem until I was in the relationship. And then I was just like, oh, please. And, um, and so it was hard for me to understand that I even knew that I had a disease. And so that's when I, uh, when I was trying to find a way to alleviate the problems. It was because with my... Um, 
uh, my menstrual cycle, I would find my libido would just inexplicably go up. And I was thinking, what is going on? And who do I talk to about this? And um, and I didn't know what to do, but when I was telling those two women, I said, that's it. I'm going to alleviate the problem. I'm going to the store. I'm going to buy something. And they just said, well, why don't you go get help first? And I said, well, that's not going to solve anything. You know, and so, um, so at any rate, um, I ended up um, finding myself acting out, which I didn't even do when I was in the industry. And then I realized, okay, I need to go and get help. Um, and once I did, God, I, and I was praying, God, help me. I know I'm not supposed to be lusting. I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know one day I want to stand before you and have to give an account, as, as I believe you to be. Um, you are an all-loving God, but I do believe I am responsible for what I'm putting out there, creating lust in men as, as well as lusting after wanting to be lust. And so I said, God, just help me. I don't know what to do. And before you knew it, somehow or another, in walked the essay program. And so um, then getting to go through all the steps, I, I'm not going to go through the steps, but what I'm learning now is what exactly it means to put, um, to put my life in God's hands and, and understand what that means. And the only way that I can do that is just, um, you know, I'm, I, when I talk to women, I text them and I say, this is how I feel right now. And just hearing, okay, surrender. My sponsor, she'll tell you, I, I said, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? And um, I think that is what's, what is actually keeping me in the present. When I, and she laughs at me because a lot of times when I tell her my story, I'm off in fantasy land. I told her, Disney's the principal, um, I'm sorry, I said the word. But anyway, uh, the movie that just recently came out, I was like, that's my story. And that's just, the movie people telling me, girl, just hold on. He's coming. And I was like, oh, my God. And she would just go, okay, bring it back. <laughs> and so, uh, I, you know, I would go off to fantasy world a lot. And so in doing that, um, just knowing to be in the present, um, I, I can't say what's going to happen and how I'm going to feel when I walk out those doors. I can tell you that coming here, I was extremely petrified. And right at this moment, I feel more comfortable because I'm around the women, and I can just open up and be myself. And so once I stay true to that and, and, and continue to build relationships with you women, that's how I find that God is helping me with the, um, finding this arch, that first I need to find out who I am, my femininity, with the women who are healthy women, who aren't making excuses to compromise what they believe in, and then I'm able to find, oh, okay, so I can look a man in the eye, which is what I shared earlier. I can't look these men in the eye because they, they have the problem that I have. And, and I was told, well, then you're objectifying them. They are human. They're God's children. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And so little by little by little, it's happening. And so I just want to thank you so much for being here, and thank you for listening to my story. Hi, I'm Tanya. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And um, our previous speaker touched a little bit on one of the building blocks that took me a long time to figure out, but is very important for my not only sobriety but recovery, and that is surrender. Um, if you look in the white book, surrender is used a lot. Um, I think somebody counted one time how many times surrender is used, and I don't know how much it is, but uh, there's one paragraph where it's used like five or six times or something like that. But... Uh, 
But uh, for me, the biggest thing I needed to surrender was the right to have a relationship. Um, even though I acted out toward the end of my marriage and I was acting out in other ways, I was fantasizing about other guys and then eventually led to physically acting out with another guy, um, I had to have a relationship, or so I thought. So, um, so I would do whatever it took to get a relationship. And, of course, what inevitably happened was I would find a guy, usually in a very unsafe manner, like uh, online, meet with him, act out with him, thinking this is the way to keep a guy, and then he'd dump me, or I'd realize that I'd made a mistake because he was married or you know something else, and I'd dump him. And um, I kept thinking, I have to have a relationship. I have to have a relationship. I'm not a whole and complete person unless I have a relationship. Well, about four years ago, I finally got a relationship. And um, it was a guy who was in program in another city. I'd met him in a treatment program. And... Um, I went to a different S program and called myself sober, even though the reality is I don't think by any S group's definition I was sober. Um, and um, spent seven months with him, and then he broke up with me. And afterwards I realized, you know, during the seven months we were going out, I'd been in the hospital for depression three times. And is this what I wanted in my life? So I finally surrendered the right to have a relationship. And I still struggle with that sometimes. My sponsor will tell me I'm you know, struggling a little bit with, you know, should I start dating or should I not? But it's important that I surrender the right to have a relationship. And maybe someday a guy will come along and we can have a, a, um, you know, a healthy, sober relationship and all that. But um, by surrendering the right to have a relationship, I realize how many relationships I really have, um, first and foremost, with the God of my understanding. And that's what makes me a whole and complete person, is the God of my understanding, the relationship I have with that with that God. Um, I have a relationship with my children that I would never have, that I couldn't have when I wasn't sober. And uh, even though the kids don't live with me full time, they live with their dad and stepmom, I have a wonderful relationship with my kids. I see them several times a week and have them every other weekend, and and we have a great time. And they tell me things that uh, most kids wouldn't tell their parents. And I have relationships with friends, and I have relationships with in, within my SA program, and I have re I even have relationships with my cats, and they love me, and that's always a good thing. So by surrendering one thing, I got so much more. And um, um, I think that's probably one of the biggest building blocks for my recovery is surrender. And I have to do that every day, um, sometimes every minute. No, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to go there. And um, the one last thing I'd share is, um, I'll probably share this in the dating thing, but uh, just in case I ever decide that maybe I need a relationship, a, a friend of mine in another S program once told me that relationship stands for Really exciting love affair turns into outrageous nightmare. Sobriety hangs in peril. Thanks. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I'm happy to see you all. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm from Nashville, so I'm like, welcome to Nashville. Um, uh, in our meeting, we often close with the Lord's Prayer, and um, one of the things that would always confuse me about that Lord's Prayer was, um, lead us not into temptation. And I'm like, why is that a necessary phrase? Like, would God ever lead us into temptation if he's God? Um, 
and I, after a while of being in the programs, um, realized that the only thing God has to do to lead me into temptation is to let me just go on my own self-destructive path. I'm like, leave me alone, God. Okay, if you really want me to. And I barrel my way down to um very distressful place. Um, so delivering me from evil is you know, delivering me from the power of the addiction. Um, and he does that, and I'm very grateful to him. And um, the gratitude has been tremendous help to me in my life. Um, and realizing that, that God, and when God does deliver me from evil, um, he delivers me to a myriad of choices that I didn't know I had, um, thinking I've only got this one option and I can't, you know, I, I just don't know what to do. How can I how can I make a choice here? I've only got one option. I've only got one option. This, 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 or I don't really have a choice because the alternative is too dangerous. You know, I don't really have a choice. Um, you know, that was the way I I thought choice worked. You had one option. You, know, you might have two options, and one of them was a lot worse than the other, so you had to pick the first. Um, and God delivers me to many options and many choices, and um, one of them being the choice to love my husband when he appears unlovable, and and um, or the choice to stop yelling at my daughter. I stopped yelling at my daughter. I I didn't know I could. Like I thought about it. I'm like I've got to stop. I I, I know I'm doing something wrong here. What can I do? And you know, eventually, um, I think through gratitude, I've had a lot of opportunities to be grateful for my children this year. I, I stopped yelling at her, and I don't know, he did it. And I'm just very grateful for the many blessings that I've had through this program and the friends that I made and that I feel like it belong. So, thanks. Leslie, I'm a sex addict from New York City. Hi. Hi. I just was sitting here and I was thinking, um, listening to everyone, and I was really touched by uh, everyone's share that I have to bring this to the light that um, I really thought I was really weird because what happened to me, someone started to mention it briefly and it came up. You know, I like dismissed it from my mind. I have a, a lot of denial, but um, I got introduced to um, a sex shop. I don't know about was right before 9/11 by a therapist I was going to because I said, um, you know, I can't stop acting out with self, and she sent me to this place in New York City, and I got I started getting really into these. Uh, this thing um, by Dr. Ruth actually which is like crazy and I, I got obsessed with it like I couldn't stop doing it to the point of um, it was controlling my life I would do it 10 times a day and 
like it was totally out of control and I had to sneak and hide and I would hide it with my shoes and you know at that time my son and husband were living there were living with me and then um, I just have to bring this to the light because I wanted to block it out that I did these behaviors um, this was the um, end of my addiction where it was totally out of control I never had these sensations in my life because um, honestly no man could ever satisfy um, I never trusted anybody enough not even my husband honestly I was never attracted to my husband I married him because I knew he'd be a good husband but I never ha because I was so afraid of intimacy in terms of um, communication communicating on um, a gut level with another human being that the only men that I felt safe with having sex were inappropriate men um, or younger men or men who were just not for me at all and I found myself um, uh, I have a very long history of abuse with my sexual addiction starting out very very young of feeling empty and feeling incomplete and I never fit in and acting out with self when I was with my sister when we were like three or four but when I came to um, surrender to this program it was only eight months ago and my first sponsor was sitting in the room who was so kind to me I realized that um, it's such a progressive disease and it brought me to where I just couldn't stop acting out with self. I had no interest anymore in, in men. I had no interest. I also found myself, I was hanging out with a, my best girlfriend was gay. And I would, um, then I thought, well, maybe I'm a lesbian. You know, I'm thinking, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm a lesbian. She's sitting in my living room and I, I would say to her, quite honestly, Lisa, I gotta go into the other room for a half hour because I got, I would, I said, and I'm sure it turned to Ron, I said, I got to go in there a half hour, you know what I'm going to do, but I need to do it, you know how hard I work, I knew, I need to have some kind of relief, and so I would do that, and she and I, 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 I was best friends with her for years, we met in a food fellowship, and uh, we became best of friends until her, um, whatever, we haven't spoken in a while, and I need to make amends to her, because it was really um, disrespectful that I did that. And I have to come to the light with that. And I did a lot of shameful things like that. And I might look all normal, and I'm very successful in a business through the grace of God. I don't take any credit for my success because I never had a college education because of all the addictions I had. I never went to college. I never excelled in high school. My father told me I was fat, stupid, dumb, who he was a sexaholic and to eat in the bathroom, I'm a pig. I'll never do anything with my life. And because he said that to me, I became so obsessed with being successful that um, I had a knack for a certain thing. And um, I succeeded in there and I, I, I became a, through the grace of God, he put me in, in a corporate environment where without any education and no skills, I became, through the grace of God, I don't take credit, but uh, a leader in this, in this um, corporation. And I only say that because of the healing that I've gotten and all the 
it's a progressive um, healing for me. Um, and it started with AA and, you know, one day it's like my experience will help other women who have nothing and could, could do something with their life. And this addiction to me was so hard. The withdrawal I went through was horrific. I needed to have a relief. I feel so empty sometimes, so sad, so lonely, so vulnerable, because I isolated myself from everybody, and I'm trying to rebuild. I don't yell at my son either anymore. It's a miracle. I don't yell at him. I don't feel like, oh, no, don't come in the house. I'm acting out. I have my thing, and don't, please don't come in. I don't feel like that. I would always say, Harry, why don't you stay over someone's house? Why don't you do this? Why don't you? And I, I, I want him to be around me now, you know? So um, I just have to say I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to, for the girl sitting in the front row who, who, who made me accept it in that meeting for the first time. And I said, please sponsor me, please. And she said yes. And it was the beginning of my... Um, you know, just changing my life, changing my life. I, I don't have to live in shame anymore. I'm not weird. There are other women who did what I did. You know, I don't have anything to hide anymore. It's like my mother could really stay at my house now. I don't have to say, Ma, no, you don't have, maybe you shouldn't come, Ma. No, it's too much for you. I don't have anything to hide. I used to I used to go into the bathroom when I had my I had my nieces and my sister and my my whole family there. I'd go into the bathroom and act out with self. I had to. I'd say, "Why don't you go out for a walk just for like an hour or so? Just I I need to rest." I'd close the door and I'd act out and then I'd come out and I felt like relieved. It it gave me a high. You know, but now I'm looking for God to give me a high and women to give me a high to just say you're okay, you're okay just the way you are and forgive people and to try to be a service. So I just want to say I'm so grateful. Uh, it's not my nature to be in something like this, you know, <laughs> but I'm so, I'm so really, really, it's like, you know, but I'm so, I'd rather be on the phone meetings, you know, I feel like safe. I'm on all the meetings. If anyone's on the, I'm on them. So um, anyway, um, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you, God. And I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm Vicki. I'm a sexaholic. And uh, I was thinking to myself as I was flying here, I came from St. Paul. I thought it would be warmer in Nashville. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, I really don't want to be here. And I like it that someone said about bringing stuff to the light. I'm a hardcore romance junkie. And I have spent past week or two um, medicating with a particular, you know, it was a television series. I was just going to watch it. You know, I, I, what I do is I, and, um, you know, like I watch the whole season at once and then yeah, from video. And it was like I watched it fine, you know, whatever, until the very last episode. And there was this one really passionate scene where this guy tells this woman he loves her. And and, uh, and then she rejects him, which is not what I wanted to have happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that that is such a drug for me. And I, my, I've let my essay program slip. And um, 
I sort of binged on it, you know, telling myself, well, I'm going to the convention, I can clean up there. And I thought, oh, is that, ad- is that my addict or what? But um, I just really wanted, because it, it's really good that I'm here because it really makes me aware of how serious this is. And, you know, I, I do have a sobriety date. You know, I don't act out in sex with self, but it's like I have a, 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 a CD I bought from another convention, essay convention, said what is sex, called What is Sex with Self? And I think it, uh, um, he has a broader definition of what is sex with self, and I think that I haven't listened to it yet because I don't want to, you know. But that is sex with self. And I've even told people, you know, I'm here and I'm drunk and I feel depressed and, you know, um, that's the way it is. And I, so much of what you've said, I've heard people say I relate to so much, you know, about the, the thing about the beauty gauge. I mean, the wacko, wacko thing about me is I expect men to take second looks at me when it's like 10 below in St. Paul and I'm wearing a down jacket. You know, I, I have this mysterious thing that I'm really attractive in this down jacket. And, you know, I learned all that same kind of stuff, even though I went the good Catholic girl route and never, you know, whatever, but I could have just as well. And the thing about not really accepting my femininity and, you know, I bought a brought a, a football cap because I thought, oh, I'll be watching football with the guys tomorrow night and I'll wear my cap. And I thought, that's not really what I what I want to do. And, you know, I've, I've always dealt with men by kind of being a buddy and not... I don't know, whatever. And I feel like I'm kind of rambling, and I want to talk. I want to talk about recovery. Um, that I, I'm hearing like hope here, and um, you know, that the first step is admitting powerlessness. And I keep thinking, well, I should only have to admit it once, but <laughs> that's not what I'm hearing. And also, the thing is, you know, like, okay, I'm into some behaviors again that I know need to go on my bottom line. I'm kind of depressed and crabby. Uh, but, you know, it's just progress, not perfection. And I noticed when I was home visiting my family how much more patient I was with my parents and how much I think I'm blaming, not blaming them as much for, you know, my how I ended up in life. And, you know, I mean, so I believe I, I have had progress, and I think sometimes I come here or come to meetings and, the negative thinking, the self-hatred disease self- kicks in like, well, you've never made any progress. All these women made more progress and stuff. And it's like, I don't think that's the way my higher power wants to talk to me. And uh, and I, I like the idea. I Actually, when um, one of the women talked about having a higher power who holds her accountable, I thought, oh, I should probably have one of those higher powers too. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for listening. I'm Julie. This is my, um, maybe my 10th or 13th, or I've been to a lot of conferences. And uh, I don't know, I just wanted to talk about the notion of wholesome. Wholesome, because one of the things that SA did is it makes me feel wholesome today. I mean, I feel more wholesome than 90% of, of people, maybe 95%. And, um, it's like, what's the right thing to do? It's a huge benefit of SA that I never thought would be part of my life. What happened to me is that um, I came into S recovery in 93, and then um, I came into SA in 98, and luckily, uh, where I worked, there was a noon meeting every day. Um, nearby 
and uh, I just went all the time. And then there was also night meetings, so I could go to a noon meeting and a night meeting. And on Saturdays, there were probably three meetings uh, a week. So I just was so in the program. And still with my husband, we go to all the conferences every six months, and we're just in the program. And uh, it just... It just makes me feel like um, it's a safe, wholesome way to be. And before recovery, I just felt like I was a ball of shame. And it was almost like I had a neon light above my head that was like, shame, 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 you know. And I probably had bad words on it or a bad label for myself that I don't need to say what the label is. Anyway, the diff- some of the building blocks I used certainly were... Um, constantly being in the program, um, reading. I didn't have a phone, my own phone. I lived in a group house, but I didn't trust myself to have my own phone for ages. It might have been six months, eight months. I didn't trust myself to have a car for a year. Um, There were a lot of things I didn't allow myself, and I just would always schedule the conferences in my life. And there were a lot of conferences. They're not just the internationals. There's a lot of local conferences. So I'm grateful to be here. Glad you all are here. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Denise. I'm a grateful sexaholic. Grateful to be here. And um, first of all, I'll start by uh, I own amends to the the, the women of Nashville. Because I was going to the, I came over from Ireland and I had an expectation in my head of going to these meetings and seeing loads of women and going for coffee and hanging out and and it didn't manifest and um, I got resentful, you know, and I'm not in a good space, so um, that was what was feeding it, but I did. So I want to owe you all an amends because... I was a bit critical of the thing, you know, and um, the higher power is in control. And I've had a lot of um, very good experiences with the women here. You know, it's a very positive, warm, loving um, feeling I have. So just felt like saying that. Um, And where I'm at is it's a very uncomfortable place because I joined SA about four and a half years ago, a little bit more, and had continuous sobriety until last month. And um, it's very hurtful for me. Um, I keep sharing it because I just, I think I need to a little bit. Um, And um, it was around the relationship aspect that got me, you know. And um, I've heard people saying, you know, I had to surrender the right to be in a relationship I think that's actually at the core of my addiction is um, relationship. If I'm not in a relationship, I'm not whole, you know. And recently I've been battling with my childhood and I've had some memories come back of the level of abuse I actually experienced, which I had never really kind of, you know, I had always in another fellowship, you know, had come up that age, five years of age, you know, but... Um, and I realized recently that my mother is a sexaholic and that my whole life is uh, 
due to somebody said about the ho- being wholesome, you know, in SA makes us whole, you know, with the experience this person was saying, it's the same for me. You know, people, I'm, I don't belong to any particular faith, but people at work think I am <laughs> a Christian. That's very funny. I'm going, gee, you know what I have to do to get up in the morning. You know, I'm a sexaholic, you know, and they're like, <laughs> if only they knew, you know. Um, I've heard people talking about integrity, you know, um, that is something that I experience in SA. Um, appropriateness of movement, dress, smell, talk, you know. Um, I don't do vulgarity. I don't do um, provocative um, anymore. Um, and um, with my family, that is also weird and mysterious. You know, they would discuss, you know, my mother's sexuality with my father and my brothers with, you know, with my 21-year-old brother at Christmas, at Christmas Day. In the relationship I had, it ended. My mother said, well, is he impotent? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it's just... And I, you see, up until recently, hadn't realized how abnormal that was. And that was because... You know, that was normality, you know. And SA has given me an alternative, which is, hey, that, that doesn't seem right. That seems a bit off, you know. Um, my aunt and my mother um, set me up as a sexual competitor at a very young age with my father and my uncle. Um, and that left me with a sense of, I knew I couldn't give to my uncle in particular, who I was very fond of as a child. They sexualized it. And I knew I couldn't give him what my aunt gave him because I saw them having sex. And now I have this overwhelming feeling of I can never, I don't know, I can never give a man I love what a woman would give. I don't know what what it is. It's something there anyway for me, um, more be revealed, I suppose. But um, I think the most important thing um, is to keep it simple um, and to surrender. And I would love to be able to surrender um for me, what my issue feels like and seems to be very closely connected to the fact I would have loved to have had children. Thanks. And um, I'm getting older and that's triggering a lot of um, stuff in me. And so I think, um, I'll end on this, that I discovered recently that surrender isn't thinking through all the options and, you know, forcing God to give <laughs> But surrender is not thinking about the thing and just you know, taken what you have. I find it hard to do, though, in this area. Very, very difficult, you know. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Okay, we've come to the end of our time. Uh, let me see. Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. And so now we'll close the meeting with the third step prayer. I think we could make a large circle. How about that? And someone will be in, I think, to turn off the tape.
and help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.